Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, I'm going to read the entire chapter, but we will probably only make it through the first three verses, but to familiar ourselves with this chapter. Starting in verse 1, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither. And I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass likened to crystal, and in the midst of the throne, and round about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast was like a calf, and the third beast had a face as a man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, and the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him, that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, as we open Your Word this evening, I pray that You'll set me aside, Lord, and use me this evening to proclaim the truths of Your Word. May we, with joy, dive into these deep waters of a time that is yet to come. Lord, may we not worry and tremble or, or, or stress in this text, but um, this is a text of great peace and great joy, that your word is 100% true, that judgment or sin will not go unjudged, that the wicked will not escape, that a time will come upon all this world where truth will be brought to light. Lord, may we even see in this text this evening, in this whole entire fourth chapter, as John is amazed, astonished, as he stands before the throne. 
Lord, we even sang and we even seen and we see in this text here where they cried, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Lord, may we leave here this evening also being reminded of who is sitting upon the throne. May we leave here this evening saying aloud to each other, He is worthy of all our praise. He is worthy of all, power, worthy of, all of our worship. And acknowledging today that He has never been dethroned, that God has been upon the throne throughout all ages. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we even dive into this text here and discuss this transition that's even happening here, we know the things that the, the things that the book of Revelations even holds for us. We know the trouble that is waiting upon the earth because we understand what is happening in the end times for the people who are here after the rapture. We understand the troubles that is waiting upon this earth. We understand the tribulation that is waiting upon the earth. We, at times, when we get into chapter 7 and we get into chapter 9, we're kind of worried and wow, and we're kind of taken aback as we read about these beasts and as we read about these plagues that have struck the earth and will strike the earth and how God is going to bring down judgment during the time of tribulation. But I love how we get into this text this evening as we know that there's a time coming in which men will seek death and will not be able to find it. In a time where all of these terrifying beasts is coming that the Lord in this revelation of himself, some 46 times from this moment forward, we will be reminded about the throne. Not only will we be reminded about the throne of God, but we will constantly be reminded throughout the, four, the next, uh, next chapters, the next 22 chapters, 46 times that God is still on the throne. God is still on the throne. It is the reminder to all of us, it is the reminder that even in these times that God is still on the throne. Realize that what we've realized what we see that's happened here. We are transitioning. We have left the church age. We have left the age of grace. That is what we've been studying. We have really left the age in which we exist in now. We closed out chapter 3 looking at the church of Laodicea and seeing how God had closed the door. There was a closed door before the Lord here. But in chapter 4, we open up seeing an opened door. We've left the church age. You'll not find any reference to the church from this moment on. They are gone. Some of us, some not some of us, but some people like to say that chapter 4 and verse 1, when it says, when the, God says unto John, come up hither, that this is in reference to the rapture. I don't see that. I understand why people try to push for that as in further affirmation. But I think that, you know, we are a church of the pre-tribulation stance. We live in a pre-tribulation rapture. We anchor ourselves in things like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16. Now, these are the things that we hang into that in this time, in this time in which God moves and he sends his son to go get his children, 
The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. We anchor ourselves in this, that we understand and formulate our mind of the rapture around this event. This First Thessalonians 4 and verse 16 is an event that has not happened. It is an event that is yet to come. Now we say this event that is yet to come, why is this rapture going to happen? Because of what we've studied before in John chapter 14 and verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Again, the promise of the Lord's return. And as we just covered in the 10th verse of chapter 3, of revelations in the 10th verse it says because to the church of philadelphia he's speaking here because thou hast kept the word of my patience i also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth and the bottom line is when these things unfold upon the earth we will not be here the things that the troubles and it doesn't mean that we will be exempt from troubles. It doesn't mean that we're going to be exempt from trials. It doesn't even mean we're going to be exempt from tribulations. But the specific hour that God has ordained in time, which tribulation shall fall upon the earth and shall touch the entire earth, we will not be there for. This is where we anchor ourselves that we are pre-tribulation people, that there is an event that's going to happen. And for the church, we won't experience this specific hour of judgment, and we will be gone and with the Lord who has prepared a place for us. Now, moving forward, there are going to be things that we can relate to and completely understand here in the book of Revelation. And there are things that's going to cause us to step back and have to expand our imagination and try to really take in all that the word of God is given to us. And you know what? It's going to take many, many times. And if we spent the rest of our life focusing on one specific verse, it is inexhaustible. We will not be able to grasp all that is given to us here in the book of Revelation. Yet, God told John to write it and record it for our benefit. So, we'll try to envision this. And as we go through this portion of Revelation, you may think, how am I even supposed to understand this? The more I read Revelation, I was wondering even to myself if John stepped back at times and said, how am I even supposed to explain this? Because what he seen, what he was taken in, what God had showed him, these are things unspeakable. After this, John has taken us back. This is where we take off this, morning, this evening. After this. Chapter 4 and verse 1. What does this mean after this? After everything that we have just covered. 
after the revelation of Jesus Christ unto his local New Testament churches, after he received the first revelation in chapter 1 and verse 10, when he said, I was in the spirit of the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and Sardis, and Philadelphia, and Laodicea. This is what he had just completed. He had just completed this task that was assigned to him all the way back in chapter 1 and verse 10. Now John is saying, after this, after I had completed this initial thing that the Lord had given me to do, after this, I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. Don't take this for granted. After this, I looked, and behold, John is amazed. John is astonished. Behold, this word behold is to say like, wow, whoa, this is amazing. He not only seen heaven, but he's seen in heaven, there is an open door. And when he sees this open door, he hears this voice like a trumpet calling out from heaven, calling John to come up hither. Now, why this voice of a trumpet? Why, why is this comparison? Because uh, a trumpet is loud, it's deep, it has great rumblings. I think this, this voice of the trumpet is to really say that this, this voice that John heard was authoritative. It was commanding. It was deep. It captured him. It drew his attention in. It was spoke with authority. It was of authoritative quality. There was an author who recently released this book, and it had wide fame. And, you know, if you read the book, there are some things that you could take away from it that are good. The book was called Gentle and Lowly. Well, the problem is with the entire book, Jesus Christ through the entire book was painted gentle and lowly. And they never fully uh, put forth who the Lord is. Yes, Jesus Christ was gentle and lonely, lowly. Yes, he was a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Yes, he was the lamb, but he was also the lion of the tribe of Judah. Coming forth out of heaven was not gentle and lowly. Coming forth out of heaven was commanding authoritative voice that was calling for John to come up hither. And when John was so amazed at this open door, the text says, and the first voice which I heard, as it were, of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither, and I will show these things, show these things which must be here after. I will show these things which must be here after. You know, it's kind of an interesting thing here when you think about why, I mean, Clearly, the Lord has already conveyed information to John to write down for all of us to have throughout the rest of history. He spoke to John. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day when the Lord was speaking to John about the seven churches to write these things down. But yet in this next portion that John is going to write down for us to have. 
he calls John up hither. Notice there's a change in John's position as he takes down the information in which is to be conveyed to us. The more I thought about this, the more it made sense that John had to go up hither. Because there is only one way that you can convey the kind of information that we're going to take in for these next 16, 17, 18 chapters. The only way that you can take it in and put it forth is if you have a heavenly perspective. We don't have this opportunity to have this heavenly perspective, but we have this opportunity to try to understand what John seen there in heaven. You know, this time here that's going to unfold is God must judge sin, right? God must bring an end to Satan. God must do which he has promised. And the Lord says, I will show you the things that are yet to come. And when the Lord says this in the next verse, the second verse, he said, and immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. First notice, John was in the spirit. Maybe his spirit was in heaven. Maybe John's body and spirit was in heaven. I don't think it matters. We know that John was in heaven. God was conveying this information to him. But notice the first thing that caught John's eye when he arrived in heaven. I think that oftentimes we're kind of confused that if we was offered this grand opportunity to see heaven, the first thing we would do is run the streets of gold and look for our dad and look for our mom and look for our grandfather, look for the people who have gone on before us. Maybe we think if we had this grand opportunity to go and see heaven, that we would look at this new Jerusalem, that we would survey heaven and say, wow, look at the amazing construction that is before my eyes. But when John arrives in heaven, and immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven. The first thing that John's eyes were drawn to is the reality that there was still a throne in heaven. It wasn't the beautiful city. It wasn't that he was reunited with the other disciples or the other apostles. It was the reality that there was a throne. Why is this so important? I believe that this changed all of John's perspective, and this would change ours as well. Remember, John was where? Exiled in Patmos. There was so much emperor worship, so much persecution. Can we not see all of the things that was happening with the last seven churches? We start to wonder, is he still on the throne? I mean, it looks like the world, it looks like Satan has overthrown that which Christ has died for. We say we understand Matthew 16, 18, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, but it's looking pretty dangerous right now because it looks like the church is losing. John's in solitary confinement, emperor worship, and persecution. John is brought up into heaven and is brought to one astonishing moment. There is still a throne in heaven, and there's still one who sits upon it. What is this reminder for us even in this day? God's reminder to us 
here on this earth is though persecution may arise, though judgment may pour out upon us, though it may look like kings come and kings go, emperors come and emperors go, new rulers across the land, more persecution, more worries. What about our rights? What about our freedoms? And it looks like that we're going to be completely extinct as Christians. God's throne still remains unmoved in heaven. I mean, on earth, the earthly view, it seemed pretty scarce for the church. But in heaven, he sees a throne still in complete order. The earth may be in disorder. Rulers may be in disorder. Kingdoms rise, but God is still on the throne. John says, behold, in heaven, there stands a throne that has not been moved. There stands a throne that has not been challenged. There stands a throne that cannot be overthrown. There stands a throne. See, this text here, John is trying to say, all of these things are happening, but God is still sovereignly reigning. He still has the power. He's still omnipotent. His throne is still bolted to the floor. No one can undo it. No one can dethrone him. No one can throw him out, and he's not stepping down. God is still in place unmoved we covered this even in Sunday school Isaiah lived in a glorious time he lived in the time of King Uzziah it was glorious the Bible says about him that he was marvelously helped by God which led to political prosperity which led to military prosperity which led to great, great economic success for Israel I mean, it was a glorious time for the people of Israel. But then tragedy came, right? When Uzziah became strong, he made a trespass against the Lord. God struck him with leprosy. And the Bible takes off in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, sitting upon the throne. And what? His train filled the temple. God was unmoved. Yet all of Israel was devastated. While the world changes, the throne remained the same. Not only did his throne remain standing still, but notice also he remained on the throne. Verse 2, and immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. This is great news for us. When I was growing up, we used to love to watch Judge Judy. And in the beginning parts of Judge Judy, everybody would be walking around and talking. But when Judge Judy would walk in, they would say, the honorable judge is now in, court is now in session. She would take her seat and be sitting upon her throne, and everyone would be paying attention because a judgment would soon be coming. Truths would soon be found out. Facts would now be discovered. Court was now in session. John says, when I arrived in heaven, not only did I find the throne was still intact, not only did I find the throne was still in place, but God was still on the throne. And not only was he on the throne, but court was now in session. He was surveying the land. He knew the facts. He knew the wickedness of man. He knew the judgment that needed to happen across the land. And he was soon going to make his ruling. The things that was about to happen in these last chapters of Revelation is because God is on the throne. 
The problem is the world today views, and even believers today forget that God is still on the throne. But judgment is sure coming. You see, the reason that people walk around before Judge Judy gets in the courtroom is because they view it as authority has not yet arrived. The reason the way believers act the way they do is because they have failed to realize that court is in session and the honorable God is on the throne. This entire chapter, chapter 4, pertains to the throne. Everything is the throne. Everything is not only about the throne that exists, it's not only about who sits on the throne, but everything is in sequence, it's in position to where people are or to where things are around the throne. It's to bring our mind into the throne, meaning verse 2, it was that there was a throne. And verse 2 was who is on the throne. Then it was who comes from the throne. Verse 4 is then who's around the throne. Verse 6 is who's before the throne. Verse 9 is who's coming to the throne. What's coming out of the throne? Everything has to do with the throne. Where is this throne located when John arrives here? It was in the temple of God. We'll see this when we get to chapter 7, I think in verse 15. When you get to chapter 7 and verse 15, it says, Therefore are they before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. See that second part. And serve him day and night in his temple. This is the location of the throne. Why is this important? Because the temple is a place of worship. God is in this place located for worship. Now this sovereign ruling throne that is seated above all, one that will never be overthrown, one that has power and majesty. Now, uh, apparently there are some today who like to argue this. It's foolishness. There are even some today who try to disrupt this view of this view that we should have of God sitting upon the throne. They want to, they want to devalue God. They want to decrease his authoritative figure. And by decreasing this, they have eased the thought process of judgment in their mind. One man said that when he was eight years old, I won't even tell you his book because I don't even want to give it credence. But he said when he was eight years old that he had died for a moment and went into heaven. And there when he arrived into heaven, he found himself in a creek. And it was a wonderful time because God and Jesus came down to the creek and they had a water fight with each other there as they sat in the creek bed. What is this foolishness? Another story was told. Uh, John MacArthur tells the story of this man who says he, he, he hadn't died and went to heaven, but he was sitting in his house. And as he was sitting in his house, he said he was watching Laverne and Shirley. And then lo and behold, the door opens up and God walks in and sits down and begins to communicate with him. As God began to speak with him, Laverne and Shirley kind of phased out in the seat, and God told him that all these things that he wanted to do. And he just said, matter of fact, I'll do all those things for you. No big deal. And as God walked out and shut the door, the boom, the TV came back on, and everything was back to normal. What is this? It is to devalue the authoritative, holy, 
presence of God. When we get into Revelation and as we go through chapter 4, you're not going to find God splashing in the creek with children. You're not going to find him playing around. You're not going to find him intermingling himself with sin. You're not going to find him at any different position than that which is laid before us in this chapter. How do we credit or discredit the things that people say that does not align with the word of God? This talk, this speech today is foolishness. We'll cover here in verse 3, and we'll bring it to a close this evening. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. John said, looking upon him who sat on the throne. I mean, how do I describe this? How do I convey to you the presence of God? He said it was like looking at a jasper stone, which is a clear stone, which is kind of comparable to us today as like a diamond. He said, as I looked upon him, this clear stone, this diamond, which probably is to convey to us, you could see through it, his purity, his holiness, his flawlessness. And as he looked upon him, he seen God's glory refracting through all of that, just glowing forth and just sowing forth, reflecting beauty and bright and light upon him. He said, as I looked upon this, you have seen diamonds as they shine in the light. Coming from the throne of God was this great bright light shining forth like a jasper stone. Psalms chapter 104 and verse 2 says that he is covered in light. Like he is robed with it. In him is light. First Timothy chapter 6 says that he dwells in light. In the light in which he dwells in, no man can approach. He is utter light, brightness, holy, pure, shining forth like this jasper stone from the throne of God. He didn't turn around to paint a picture to say that God was a uh, a, a tan man with sandy brown hair. He said he is holy. He is pure. He is clear. If, if you could even know what he looked like, you have only reduced your thoughts of God. The reality is to try to understand God's essence and who he is. It says that, and a sardine stone, this deep, rich, red stone that was round about the throne. This deep, rich red stone, which sows royalty. I didn't decide to cover through this today, but if you want to kind of go through it in your own time, you could turn to the book of Ezekiel in chapter 28. And as they lay out upon the uh, priest, the breastplate, there is a clear link here to the Jasper stone and the Sardis stone representing the first of the tribe of Judah and the last of the tribe of Judah, meaning Reuben and Benjamin, but it could open up to its own study. So Ezekiel 28. But he says around this throne, a rainbow, 
This is very interesting because this is very familiar speech to us if you've ever read the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel said in chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, and there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads. And when they stood and had let down, and let down their wings and above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone and upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. And I saw the color of amber as the appearance of fire round about within it from the appearance of his loins even upward and from the appearance of his loins even upward. And I saw it were the appearance of fire and it had brightness round about it. Notice this last verse. I saw that it were the appearance of fire and it had brightness round about it as the appearance of a bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness round about that was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell upon my face and I heard the voice of the one that spake. I like how Ezekiel closed that verse. Not only did he fall upon his face when he heard the voice of the Lord, just like John did in chapter 1, and probably most certainly in chapter 4, even though we don't read of it. I believe the voice of the Lord brings that much terror in our lives. He says, Ezekiel, and as the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud in the day of rain, Thinking back to this verse here, and there was a rainbow round about the throne. I love that. There was a rainbow round about the throne. <clears throat> when it storms today, it, my wife and my youngest son and my daughter, they love to run outside after a storm and try to catch a picture of a rainbow. This is what they want. And this is exactly what Noah's seen, right? After this great and terrible judgment poured out upon the earth, Noah came out of the ark to see a rainbow. But here John is standing around the throne of God. Judgment has not yet fell. And a rainbow already on display. It, to me, reminds us that even though judgment is coming, God is still merciful even when he judges. There is a great judgment that is going to fall upon this world. But God is reminding John, John, there's still going to be 144,000. Some believe that even the Sardis stone and the Jasper stone that's going to be shined forth, that we see is shining forth from the throne of God, is actually a di direct relation to the children of Israel, to the breastplate that was in the Old Testament in Ezekiel chapter 28, and is that God is saying forth that I have not forgot my promise with Israel. And that this 144,000 judgments coming, but I, I'm going to save my people. Judgment's coming, but souls will be saved. Judgment's coming, 
but I still know that there's work to do. Judgment's coming, but I'm still going to be merciful and send my prophets. Judgment's coming, but there's still going to be in the end of it all this final invitation. Judgment's coming. Yet God is reminding, yet I am still merciful even in my judgment. I pray that God will continue to open our eyes as we go through here in this fourth chapter as we begin to take in and understand the throne of God. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to preach your word. Lord, I pray that you'll continue to bless our studies in the book of Revelation as you give us this understanding to clearly more understand what is yet to come with excitement, with his joy. And if it be fear that grips our hearts, may it be fear for the lost. May it be fear for our lost loved ones. May it be fear for the ones we know who need the truths of your words, God. Make it be a, a fire that burns within us to get your message to the lost and dying world. We give thanks to you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.